0: I just wanted to pop on uh, before the formal episode after the fact and let people know that this is an episode where we discuss loss, the loss of loved ones and people passing. The intent of the episode isn't to share those stories so much as it is to share the signs, coincidences and um, products of their, you know, lasting spirit that have impacted people in, in meaningful and helpful ways for them to move forward in life. And the general tone, I hope, is uplifting and a lot of the coincidence actually don't have anything to do with you know death at all but are just kind of weird things that happened but i just wanted to tell you up front if you're not in as a person that's super sensitive like if you're not in the mood to like be a little bit emotional or like go there maybe save this episode for another day but i honestly think it's a great one and people wrote in the coolest most meaningful stories and it's it's like one of the most important episodes i feel like i've ever recorded and i'm so grateful if you'll listen um anyways thanks guys love you bye Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. We'll get right to it this week. If you're new here, this is the second part of a series I'm doing. Uh, You know, aptly titled after my favorite 92 Ace of Base hit, I Saw the Sign, far superior to All That She Wants and Don't Turn Around. Why does she want another baby? Hold on. All That She Wants. Song meaning. (laughs) Ah. Okay, this is a great example of a blind spot of something you never revisit since childhood. I n- now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. In my head, this song, All That She Wants is Another Baby. She'll be gone tomorrow or whatever. I thought this was about a baby-stealing woman. Like, she steals people's babies. Like, newborns. Like, uh, the butt kisses. That scary adoptive family from It Takes Two. They practically collect kids. Or like Kris Jenner. Or, I guess, too, in this context of, like, a one-night stand, you know, a woman using a dude as, like, a sperm donor. But when I just Googled it, Wikipedia says all that she wants is a reggae pop song that describes a sexually promiscuous woman with the word baby being synonymous with boyfriend. Which is, like, duh. I mean, that's what I'd assume for everything else. I don't listen to, you know, Whitney Houston's I'm Your Baby Tonight and think, ew, she is like a fetish for dressing up like a baby. I I don't listen to yeah baby one more time being like jeez Brittany, do you like you want a baby one more time like think about justin bieber he says baby like 14 times it's like jesus that that 12 year old really wants kids like no we never associate baby with an actual baby it's a term of endearment so why my whole life did i think this ace of bass song was about being a baby collector interesting The words are, she leads a lonely life. When she woke up in the morning light and the day had just begun, she opened her eyes and thought, oh, what a morning. It's not a day for work. It's a day for catching sun, just laying on the beach and having fun. She's going to get you. All that she wants is another baby. She's gone tomorrow. Boy, all that she wants is another baby. Yeah, but she's gone tomorrow. That makes it seem like it's a hit and run, sperm-wise, you know? And then it says, if you are in sight and the day is right, she's a hunter, you're the fox. The gentle voice that talks to you won't talk forever. It is a night for passion, but the morning means goodbye. Oh, well, yeah, maybe I'm right then. She's a hunter. You're the fox. I mean, I should ask Taylor Swift. Hunters, foxes, cages, boxes. Uh, Sorry, I don't need to sort this out right now. It's really not important. (laughs) I just, uh, oh, and then this article says, the lyrics of the song are reportedly about Danish young women deliberately having affairs with men for the sole aim of getting pregnant so that they could qualify for welfare payments that the Danish government regularly gave to single mothers, hence the famous line, all that she wants is another baby. However, it's worth noting that none of the members of Ace of Base have ever confirmed that this is what the song is about. <laughs> okay, well, now I think I wasn't totally wrong. I'm interested to know what you guys think if this is about human babies. Also, if this song suggesting that this woman is like looking hot on a beach and like catches your eye and you have a night of passion and then she's gone, that does not a baby make, you know? I Well, I mean, no, you can literally make a baby, but I mean, that person being called your baby wouldn't happen. I do feel like the baby sitch takes like a little bit of courting to get to that point where you're nicknamed. You know, like I think it's a giant red flag if a dude uses terms of endearments on you you know in the first few dates like i'd even say maybe the first month of you dating when you're like maybe not official yet to me it's a red flag for he's talking to multiple people and doesn't have to keep your name straight and also i just find like skeezier guys are like the type that are like hey beautiful hey babe like i just the type of guys i know that use terms of endearment with women they aren't seriously dating are the types of sweet talkers that I would argue should be like, I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes and I am happy now living without you because you just called me baby and we're not really dating, you know? But while we're here having this conversation, is your baby up for grabs? <laughs> anyway, I mean, I dig a term of endearment. I've always used doll a lot and I also use dear heart because I think my mom, so my mom, my grandma, like somebody used to use that a lot and I always thought it was funny and old fashioned and I wasn't hearing other people using it. So I started taking on dear heart as my own. Uh, people have noticed when I podcast with my sister we call each other girl constantly and that is a joke that has now come a part of our become a part of our like sisterly lexicon you know sisters have like their own language um when i was younger like my sister is less emotional than me and less touchy feely and i'm kind of a lot and i used to like smother her and um so it almost became a joke of the way i talked to her and when she'd like complain or say something i'd be like oh my god girl i am so sorry and i would kind of talk to her in a way that was like valley girl stupid that i knew knew irritated her as a joke and then so she started saying girl back to me and i don't know 20 years later we're still like hey girl sorry girl what's up girl um but it's meant it's like we're serious but it's also the root root of it is a complete joke I was kind of annoyed that the Kardashians took Doll as their own because now it sounds like I'm copying them. But part of the charm of the Kardashians is this six sisterly lexicon that they have with like Bible and whatnot. I, I just, regardless of like who they are, I like watching family dynamics on television of people that are legitimately close. That's why this Courtney drama feels like too dark and feels like a divide that is, we're not going to get past. And I just, I'm not here for that journey. I, I, I want Thick as Thieves, you know? And it upset me when people like Caroline Manza would be like, you know, don't mess with my family. We're thick as thieves. And but then like her and Dina haven't talked in 12 years. And I'm like, well, are you? Because clearly something's wrong here. Anyway, a very profound intro um, for this episode. But yeah, so last time I was telling some of my stories about some like coincidences and signs um, and kind of weird universal circumstances I had experienced in life that have always stood out to me and kind of also uh explain my philosophy on what i do and don't believe in spiritually and it's kind of like a weird thing to open up about especially when i don't um have a very black and white perception of how the world works how the afterlife works i don't i can't fit it into something that's easily explainable and it probably makes me sound a little chaotic but the point of that too is like i'm not here to teach i'm not here to project any sort of belief system onto you The only thing I'm ever interested in doing is making people think. And I'm a big believer in that you can and you should entertain thoughts without accepting them. I think that we have a problem when differing points of view aren't allowed, when discourse isn't welcome, Um, because what that says to me is that the person rejecting it uh, is so weak in their beliefs that anything someone else says compromises what they believe in. And anybody that's actually strong in what they believe welcomes the discussion. You can disagree with it. You can push back. You can be offended. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be like an angel with every conversation you have. But I mean, sometimes the most um, inflexible people I've I've in my adult life in my small cross section of people I've come across who seem to operate in extremities with what they believe, religious, political and otherwise. Sometimes I think it's either a serious uh, questioning on their behalf that is met with a lot of denial and or, especially in the case of politics, a person that knows so little about what they're actually talking about, they can't actually get into a depth of discussion because it will prove their surface level understanding. I think religion and politics are two areas where people absorb the beliefs of their parents, people they grew up close to, their church, whatever it is whoever's an influential source in your life that has extreme beliefs they're very easily absorbed and then regurgitated without any sort of um individual putting in the time and research to actually figure out if they align with those beliefs and i think it creates like generations of people that just like scream and argue about the same shit without ever revisiting it because it's hard to be the one person in your family that goes against what everybody else believes because it's a painful process to try to recalibrate everything everybody's taught you and to be like i don't know if i agree with that i think there's a lot of interesting and problematic ways in which we operate in extremes in this world and religion is certainly one of them where um there's just such a lack of tolerance with other people's religious freedoms i have a lot of intolerances with how any sort of religion or spirituality uh impedes on somebody's human rights of course obviously um that i draw a hard and fast line and that i am black and white about but. If anything, of me being on this podcast and kind of talking openly about things without them, you know, with them maybe contradicting sometimes without them falling into something that's a little bit more structured. I guess what is always important for me to convey is that perhaps the only thing that I know for certain is that life is entirely gray and I find a lot of freedom in not needing or obsessing about everything needing to fit together perfectly and make absolute sense. And I appreciate those of you that are so open-minded and liked the last episode so much. I was a little bit nervous about it um, just because these things are like touchy subjects kind of. And I know I always come back to like breaching the topic of religion. And I think it is a fixation I have from feeling manipulated (laughs) from like youth groups and summer camps that I almost feel like called to use a religious word to, um, you know, if anybody's even on the fence about rethinking or revisiting any of the things they were told, I want them to not to convince them to not believe it. But that the important thing is that when you are able to step back, you're able to doubt, you're able to have conversations with people that don't agree with you. If you come back to the same place of what you already believed, then at least it's your choice. I just want people to be able to separate what is their they their soul their core like what do you actually believe in what have you actually experienced and what's a product of what you've just always been told and been like accepted as truth and this is a conversation for a different day but a lot of theories about how i feel like the underlying tenets of religion and politics are to designed to control people and how when you label those as taboo topics when there are things happening that aren't okay It discourages people from having the discourse that ultimately leads to action and change. And I actually really can't stand that people aren't allowed to talk about religion or politics. I get money. I get how that's too personal and and nuanced and uncomfortable and damages relationships. But with religion and politics, I just find it fascinating that the two governing bodies, one of our physical world and one of our soul, intersect in everything we do and everything we are yet we're not supposed to talk about it you know it's it, it just seems like it's designed to keep people quiet and i mean i'm far from being politically vocal because i don't consider it my subject matter expertise and i don't think you should be coming to me for political advice I think everybody should be using uh, knowledgeable, balanced resources to the best of their ability to draw their own conclusions. And here, especially on the podcast, it's a one-sided conversation. You and I can't talk back and forth about it. Not saying there's not a lot of political undertones in what I talk about at times, but um, I think that it's just, I don't know, when I think about it high level, I'm like, it's crazy that we're, we're taught to kind of, I don't know, operate within these confines of our families what we grew up into our cultures our faiths whatever and um not be open to other fields of thought and as i've t- told these stories throughout time to different people as they've been brought up i've obviously been met with different responses some that they hugely reject any possibility and go to great lengths to explain why and all of this is impossible and i knew i'd get you know a, full, a few messages that weren't into it um always I mean times with like literally everything I'll get a few messages if I say Backstreet Boys is better than NSYNC but um most of you like have been really nice and have shared more and more stories and have been so open and I just am continuously really impressed by this audience and all of your um kind of exploratory curious nature that I feel like we share and even though this podcast is grounded in pop culture I I love and appreciate and am amazed by your range and your ability to oscillate between light and heavy like it's nothing and your acknowledgement of there needing to be a balance and for us needing to talk about both. I have always felt this way my entire life. Like I just don't feel like I have to pick being like a shallow, light-upbeat, bubbly person or like a deep, intense and emotional one. And I had a good laugh last week that in between these two, otherwise intense episodes was a jessica simpson memoir (laughs) (laughs) recap i was just like yeah exactly this is (laughs) this is exactly why i'm undesirable to a podcast network and this is exactly why i'll never change so anyway thanks for being awesome thanks for being open thanks for listening no matter what the (laughs) no matter the nature of the randomness of the topic and um of your like willingness and comfort with walking through topics that have a great deal of gray I've had one too many de-energizing, frustrating conversations with people that will go to great lengths to disprove, disagree, not honor the importance of these stories to me. And when you open it in a public forum, it's a bit scary because things that, like, comprise the fabric of your soul are a bit, like, hard to take feedback about. (laughs) Um, So that's—and it is funny, like, I don't know. So, again, I just took it as a sign that because— I didn't say any of that the first go-round and said all of that when I lost the audio recording. I hope someone, somewhere, um, it was helpful in some way. So for today, I'm going to read other people's stories. Um, I have like a little bit, I have like another few other coincidences to say. Maybe I'll wrap them into another episode because I'm kind of tired of myself and I want to read these uh, beautiful stories people submitted. First, a couple things. Um, I'll do... I want to thank our advertiser, but first to tie something into the advertiser um, and then the rest of the episode will be ad free. But I can't always, you know, donate a ton of money to everything. And there's so many things you care about. And it's kind of tricky when it feels like donating is the only thing you can do. So I've been trying to explore more what I can do with my time. And I've mentioned to you guys, you know, stuff like volunteer matching points of light.org and. Uh, looking for kind of virtual places where you can use business trades like from home you know if you can't be physically volunteering and one of the things i found through this is a organization called love for the elderly you can send them cards and they'll distribute them to nursing homes senior living facilities etc i feel very strongly honestly maybe it's because i've been talking about my grandmother so much He was in a senior living facility for a long time and so was my grandfather And so many, I mean, so many of these stories are about grandparents. I just feel like this is relevant. It's, it's, it's incredibly sad and isolating that so many grandparents, elderly people aren't able to be in direct contact with their loved ones, especially, and I know it's hard for all of you on the other end of that too, when, you know, it's time is more precious than ever. And I think it's excruciating to be physically apart. And I just can't, I I don't know. I, I just can't imagine, um uh being without any sort of um company or uh, sources of external joy when you're just sitting there and i love organizations that are doing what they can to um i don't know provide joy provide company and let these people know they're not forgotten about and this is not the ad but uh, anyways the point is a lot of you have been talking about how you've um been learning artistic skills on skillshare which is an online learning community with thousands of of classes for creative and curious people that let you you know explore new skills refine your existing skills and kind of get lost in your creativity and you know i'm all about that um i was talking about how you can use the free two months of membership at skillshare that sponsors this podcast and when you're practicing calligraphy or watercolors oil paintings drawing sketching calligraphy did i already say that whatever it is Um, instead of throwing away any of your practice work, send it as a card. Like, why the heck not? It's it's such a great time to start an artistic skill. And um, I love the idea of kind of paying it forward as well while you're at it. Um, So just an idea, but that's a little bit separate. But yes, our our advertiser is Skillshare. There's so many ways that Skillshare's membership um, is valuable, especially this moment. Not only in having perhaps, you know, a surplus of time to be able to pursue the things you've always wanted to do. As I talked about last time, please buy, if anything, don't rob the world of your gifts. If you want to explore something, explore it. But also I think that, you know, for people that are alone, for people that aren't able to be in direct contact with people that doing, I don't know, learning new things and doing creative project work is something that really does keep me company and has kept me company through a lot of difficult times. And there's a, such a broad range on Skillshare from, you know, lifestyle freelance and entrepreneurship creative writing film and video graphic design illustration photography um ui design web development marketing animation it's artistic it's business it's everything in between and you know whether the uncertainty is making you seek a little bit more structure and you want to explore productivity i know for me the more the more unrest i have in my mind the more i benefit from some sort of creative expression and um exploring any sort of artistic medium that makes you lose track of time is such a beautiful thing when you aren't in the best headspace. And beyond that, I just think it's kind of an incredible community thing where so many people go on there to share and teach people how to do things that they're passionate about. And it's almost contagious. And I just have really enjoyed it. I think this week I'm going to look into interior design because if I'm going to be stuck here for a while, I want to feel it. make. I want it to feel like a new apartment and I'm going to not redecorate but like rearrange you know like i can't buy new decorations but i just want to like repurpose what i have it's kind of like restyling your wardrobe I wonder if there's a class on that but anyway i hope those of you that are already members have been enjoying it and for those of you that aren't i hope you'll consider because you can get two free months of premium membership at skillshare.com slash be there in five that's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free and get started and joined today by heading to skillshare.com slash be there five. Friendly reminder, that is F-I-V-E, not the number five. I know the codes can get confusing, but it's Be There In Five just how the show is spelled. So two free months, unlimited access, thousands of classes, Skillshare.com slash Be There In Five. All right, let's get to some stories. I'll try to keep my commentary to a minimum so I can read as many as possible. I kind of just took a random sampling because I there's a handful I'd read in the first episode that I lost, but then... What usually happens is after the first episode, I get so many more uh, stories because they understand the type of thing that I'm looking for or talking about, or maybe feel more comfortable. So I'm just kind of doing a grab bag here. Oh, this is a short one. I had jotted down. Somebody emailed and said that they, she, and her husband are from different states, and um, when they looked at each other's birth certificates, they realized they had been uh, delivered by the same doctor, and they had the exact same signature on their birth certificates. Isn't that wild? that was fun. Um, This person said, it was my senior year of college and I was a liberal arts major, so I successfully avoided basically all econ classes but had to take one to graduate. So senior year, I finally took the rumored easiest one with the rumored easiest teacher. Well, I was still awful at it and even quit going about three quarters of the way through, I was panicking about how to take it again my final semester and how to not let it keep me from graduating. When finals came and went and I didn't even show up to the econ final ballsy move i logged onto my student portal to check all my other final grades and was shocked when it said c plus in econ i was in shock i it absolutely should have said f i clicked on the class and saw that i received a hundred hundred and ten percent on the final which again i didn't even take i had no idea what to do should i email the teacher and tell him was i being tested should i just take it as a gift and leave it well i told no one not my best friends not my long-term boyfriend and took the c plus and continued on with my life so happy that my econ class was checked off Fast forward about six to seven years and I'm married and talking to my future sister-in-law, an econ major. We had known each other several years and at this point, but one at this point, but one night when we were talking about college and how much we all partied and didn't really care about classes. Because I had been drinking, I finally told the story for the first time about my mysterious 110% final that I didn't even take. And she looked at me stunned. I immediately regretted telling the story, thinking she thought I was a terrible person for not immediately alerting the authorities but instead, she said, oh, my God, that was me. I was the T.A. She didn't remember that I was a student exactly, but just that one particular that that particular semester, it was her first as a T.A. And at the end of grading final, she realized one female students was missing. She was so nervous that she lost it that she just put one hundred and ten percent in a panic in hopes that the student would take the high grade and keep on going. And thus her higher ups would never know she lost a final, which, of course, as we know, the student me did. We compared all facts, dates, et cetera, and it was definitely me and her. We are now sisters-in-law and haven't told the story to anyone else except ourselves for, to this day. Seriously crazy and seriously the only way I graduated. Ha <laughs> That is wild. I, I still, like, not showing up to it. So, like, if you didn't show up, you just, you just like, knew you weren't going to graduate? That's terrifying. Um, That's so interesting. Such a small world, like the smallest. And it's funny that the situation netted even as positive for you both because you both technically didn't do the right thing (laughs) you know like as you said i mean you haven't told anybody you know that like that 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 that's like a tricky situation to be in where you're like okay i'm just gonna look out for myself in this instance um but that even the ta was doing that too you know even the authority that you should have told was like oh i'm not gonna get in trouble for this one and made this kind of the same decision so it's a wash and everyone moves on that, I I love that story. I think that is crazy. I feel like you're pretty safe. to if, if it's been like over a decade since you've left school, I mean, I feel like we've all made our fair share of questionable ethical decisions in our youth. I feel like you could tell people. It's pretty interesting. Um, this one says, my husband's grandfather lived with us for six years. In that time, we had two children. He was 88 years old, healthy, and would drive to Virginia from where we are in, to Pennsylvania every five weeks to see his son and wife's graves and check on them. As you can imagine, living with someone that you sat that long you become very close we had certain shows we watched together and just different routines it was nice having someone home to talk to and my husband worked late the week of halloween 2018 he became super sick with what we thought was pneumonia and he was admitted to the hospital unfortunately he continued to rapidly decline and we decided to bring him back home for hospice when he was home you could tell even though he knew the end was quickly approaching that he was happy and comfortable he was so at peace knowing he had a great life and lived with no, no regrets We had a lot of talks when he was strong enough to talk, and he told us that his late wife and son came to visit him and to tell him it was almost time for him to come be with them. It made us all feel at peace knowing he wasn't scared and that they were waiting for him. Toward the end, I told him that when he got there, meaning heaven, I needed a sign that he was okay because he always made me call him whenever I went anywhere to let him know that I got there safe. He promised me I would know, and honestly, I was pretty mad at God right then and didn't put much faith faith into this. He passed on 11-24-2018 around 8 p.m. The next day, I was straightening some things up and accidentally knocked over a pile of papers on his side table. As I was picking them up, I found a note in his handwriting that said, Remember me with smiles and laughter. If you can only remember me with tears, then don't remember me at all. Oh, This was him. He kept telling me not to be sad, that he was at peace and would be okay. I instantly knew this was from him. I had never seen this paper I'd gone through and straightened it, and I'd straightened his table before. I know he's okay. I'm looking out for me and our family and it made me a believer. That's really sweet. And I cannot tell you how many of those stories I've seen, um, of when people are, are like vocalizing that they're seeing their past loved ones. And it's always right before they pass away. And I so fully believe in this transition period. Actually, my mom sent me an email, um, She was recently at her aunt's funeral and um, it was an open casket. And my mom mentioned to her cousin, like how beautiful she looked. And um, my mom's cousin said that I think it was the day before she passed away. um, Her mom, my mom's aunt had was talking about how her mom and sister who have since passed um, were in the room talking about attending a funeral. So, does that make sense so my mom's aunt who at this point is alive is in her living room and she's telling my cousin that her deceased sister and mother are talking about attending a funeral but then that she realizes they're talking about her funeral and then she asks my mom's cousin to help her pick out a dress for her own funeral and they do and then she dies the next day um and this was a few weeks ago i, I, I have no sense of time anymore this might have been uh, maybe this was in February. Um, Wow, it is weird how I have no sense of time anymore, but I thought that was really neat and um I talked about last week how my grandmother was talking about her brother and people that had passed away right before she did and I think so often we we write off the um some of those things as it's some people like losing touch or being senile, but I think it's perhaps when they're the most lucid and it's a m- moment that like transcends being human it doesn't make them less of a human or mean they're going anywhere for good. It means they're moving on to something greater and bigger than we understand. And it's important to treat it that way. And I thought it was so beautiful. I like, honestly, I arti- am I feel like I was worried about being con- speaking about it confusingly, but it's like so beautiful. I can hardly <laughs> articulate it that she would see people, see her loved ones talking about her funeral and like knew she was about to pass. And that's why that person's story, like, I totally understand and agree with you. And Like what a comforting, amazing thought to to feel like you're being greeted and accepted, and um, you know it makes it a heck of a lot less sad to know that people are leaving us but moving on to perhaps people they're wanting to see even more, you know. Uh, And I think that's I don't know I just find such comfort in that. And I loved I got so many stories like that, but wanted to pick an example. Um, This person said. Uh, let me set the scene it was july 2013 i was on vacation with my husband and his, his immediate family mom brother and sister in maui we were staying in a beautiful oceanfront condo i was nine weeks pregnant with our first child who would be the first grandchild and nephew in the family we got to share the news when everyone arrived the first day of the trip the festivities began i was having massive morning sickness vomiting at the mere scent of scrambled eggs my sister-in-law broke up with her boyfriend of three years and was really upset taking it out on everybody my brother-in-law got a cold and would not remove his ass from the couch in the living room breathing his illness everywhere i couldn't do that now uh needless to say things were going downhill quickly so my husband and i escaped to go snorkeling in the water outside of the condo to get in the water you had to climb down some boulders and rocks and during high tide the rocks were submerged Being the clumsy gal that I am, I slip on slip and grab onto the rocks and then gracefully flap myself into the water. We're about 20 feet from shore when I look down at my hand and see that my wedding ring is missing. In the months leading up to the trip, I've been, in the words of Fergie, working on my fitness. (laughs) Oh, she'd lost about 30 pounds from training for half marathon and then she got pregnant blah, blah, blah. So her wedding ring was pretty loose, but not loose enough to actually motivate her to get it resized. When she realized it was gone, she yells to her husband that it's missing, and he thinks he's, she's joking until he finally gets that she's 0% joking, and the search begins for the tropical fish that is called Stephanie's Wedding Ring. At this point, I am panicking, and the pregnancy hormones are starting to kick in, so I'm crying in my snorkel mask, knowing full well there's no way in hell we are going to be able to find my ring. Crying in a snorkel mask is like a it's like a ti- that's like a a that's title of uh, the fascinating paradox of vacation, how you can... be in tears within the confines of something that otherwise represents an escape. Um, We continue to look for another 30 to 40 minutes. And at some point, my mother-in-law comes out to help. After a while, we begin to admit defeat. My husband is furious, not because he's controlling, but because I lose things a lot. I understand. Uh, My husband's so nice, but like I I do have patterns and I get how it's frustrating. Um, I'm blubbering about never seeing my rings again. We start talking about renting a metal detector to see if we can find it. When the tie is low again, um, we decide to give it one last quick search. Then a wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles happens. My husband finds my ring sitting on the giant boulder you had to step on to get into the ocean. Remember, these are the ones that are usually submerged. He tells this part of the story best, so I'll try to do him justice. He looked down at the boulder and the ring was placed perfectly on a bed of sand with a ray of sunshine beaming into it from the heavens. He says it looks like it was placed there to be found. So the weird thing is, part of the reason we were on this trip is that my husband's dad had died about three years earlier. It was tragic and horrible. He died in a fishing boat accident on the ocean with three other people and their bodies were never found. It really did a number on everyone for years. As a result, we planned this trip as a path forward as a part of healing from the loss of his dad. My husband has said multiple times he feels like his dad directed him to find the ring. Our wedding was six weeks before he died and was the last big family event with everyone together. Our wedding and newlywed time were unfortunately marred by his death. To my husband and me too, he believes his dad didn't want our Hawaii trip to be marred by the loss of my ring and helped guide him to locate it in the freaking ocean. Coincidence? Probably. Interjection from the afterlife, maybe. Either way, the universe most definitely had our backs that day. Oh, Wow. I, that's really cool. I... Well, be, beyond the ring... Beyond you finding in a boulder, otherwise submerged by the ocean in what could have been an impossible search. I think anytime you find things like that, it's such a universe has my back for some reason moment. But when you tie in the coincidence of the ocean's role and his passing, it's pretty crazy. Um, That's so that's that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. I think like I've had a few of those too, where you lose something that's literally impossible to find and it kind of like appears. And those are I always write those down those times where i'm just like i am so lucky and i really feel like you have to let out you know a million times the gratitude as a result because uh the alternate you know scenario is so easily forgotten if it doesn't happen right but um that's really neat and i i love that i i hope your husband holds on to that because it's incredibly special I swear these things happen in vulnerable moments, (laughs) you know, like that's when you're the most open and, and reachable. This person said, um, one morning I woke up and told my boyfriend that I had a dream about an old gymnastics coach that I hadn't seen in over a decade. In my dream, the coach was at a child's birthday party and was wearing a mask. I ran up to him and ripped off his mask. I told him that I knew he was there to sexually abuse the children. He broke down and cried and apologized. It was a very intense and sad dream. Later that afternoon, I got a call from an old teammate. That coach had killed himself overnight. Turns out he had been sexually abused as a kid, and in his note, he said he was tired of fighting the urges he had to continue the cycle of abuse. He had never acted out on the urges in life, but couldn't deal with the pain and the struggle anymore. I knew about none of this, and it somehow was all in my dream during the very night when he killed himself. This story shook me when I read this email. I th- well not only having a dream that predicted the very uh underlying issue of why he did that but with the exact same timing of that night but it with it also being a person that this person isn't close to right to have not thought about him in 10 years and have no personal relationship with him but have that sort of like i don't know if it's a premonition or if it's like a i like some sort of energetic connection to it like I don't even it's funny, like my commentary is useless. I can't explain it, but, uh, you know, I can't like add anything to that. But it just really, really, I thought that was so, so crazy. There's a lot of stories about dreams, actually. Uh, But then they spook me because I am a person that has so many dreams, all the dreams, all the time. I have trouble waking up sometimes because I've just been through something so emotionally stressful while I was allegedly resting. And this has been a problem my entire life. But I've never, as far as I know, most of the time I don't really remember them. I try to write stuff down, but then later it doesn't even make sense. And there hasn't been like that much of a connection to my real life. Actually, one time a tarot card reader told me to pay attention to my dreams. I don't know if I trust her. I dream about such scary things that I don't want to happen. I don't want to think there's a connection, you know? It's like if, if I'm having a good dream where I'm dreaming about like my late grandmother or dog, and they're oftentimes together in my dreams, like I always see... The, gra- the grandmother with the hanging hearts and my late dog, Daisy, together. Um, and they were really close. And like my grandmother loved animals and loved this dog. So <laughs> you hear that in the background. That's tugboat whining at my door. Now I can't not let him in when I'm talking about the sentimental story. Hold on. All right. He is now sitting behind me. I forego lumbar and back support to the point where I'm in excruciating pain for him to be able to sit in my chair with me. But he doesn't really fit unless he's behind me. Ugh, I love this dog so much. I honestly think the part of my children anxiety is because, like, I, I, I fear, like, I think that, like, when things you love, I almost can't handle things I intensely love because it makes me intensely anxious about their, like, well-being and safety. And the mere thought of children, I'm already catastrophizing (laughs) everything that could happen in my head. And, like, i mean i know dog owners you like lie awake at night and like fear the day you'll outlive your dog and like it just doesn't seem right or fair and uh it it it, it uh, whatever i can't get into that now let's not spiral let's keep things uplifting oh this is kind of a long, the lines of earlier this person said rewind to november 2014 i'm pregnant with a baby boy on the way and it is beyond exciting uh doo-doo-doo. my mother-in-law is so thrilled that she has a grandson on the way And knowing that I'm her favorite daughter-in-law, I'm pretty excited for her and obviously myself. For a few months, my mother-in-law has been really sick, and we find out in November that it is stage 4 lung cancer, and she's given at most six months to live. Her response when the news is given, when given the news is, well, will I get to meet the baby? Unfortunately, a few days later, she had a cardiac event, and a few days after that, she passes away on Thanksgiving. We were all there with her, and the moment still breaks me every time I think of it. So fast forward to February 2015, my water breaks overnight, 10 days before my due date. I'm admitted to the hospital early morning. They start giving me the meds to get the contractions going. Around mid-afternoon, I ask for the epidural. My husband is ushered out once the anesthesiologist shows. I swing over to the side of the bed to get the shot. Monitors are adjusted to continue to monitor my son's heartbeat. Unfortunately, the anesthesiologist cannot get to my spine easily, and then suddenly alarms go off. My son's heartbeat is gone. I'm trying to hold still and not get emotional, but I can see in my maternity nurse's eyes something is wrong. They cannot find his heartbeat at all, no matter what position they move me into. My nurse is rubbing my back, telling me to stay calm. But the room is now filled with 10-plus nurses, and now the on-call OB watching, like they are ready to pounce. I look up from my breathing and see my mother-in-law. Who knows, maybe it was the adrenaline. Death, not the drugs, since they couldn't give them to me yet. I see her watching the docs. She is behind the monitors. Next thing you know, my son's heartbeat is back, strong, consistent. The look on everyone's faces literally went from a calm panic to shock and relief. I got my epidural after that, and my son was born four hours later, healthy and beautiful. I swear she saved my son that day. I still see her every now and then. She comes to my father-in-law a lot in his dreams. I truly believe she has stayed with us after such a dramatic death where she could not say goodbye to us all. She was a great mother-in-law and remains one of the best. Oh, that's really nice. Um, there's a book that I have a broader story about called 37 Seconds um about a woman who flatlined that i met in person and there's the longer story about this uh that she flatlined for 37 seconds um giving birth and she details a lot of what happened um but that particularly when you know you hear about near-death experiences or whatever she details um all of the like her her mom holding her hand and her on and like her loved ones being like right there in the room and like physically seeing them like behind the monitors like exactly what you described. Um but she like actually clinically died. Um so yeah that's that's so wild and bless her heart and that I'm so so relieved and happy your son is safe and I'm sorry for the trauma. My gosh, I that is whew I could I could I that's hard to read, um much less experience. And it's always crazy when it's, like, when the your partner's ushered out, too, that happened to a friend of mine. And, like, it's, yeah, I am sure indescribably frightening. Um, let's see here. Uh, again, I'm not sure. I don't want to overcome it because there's nothing. Uh, the, 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 your, I just want people's experiences to, like, live and breathe without my opinion. I believe absolutely everybody. And I... Don't want it I don't want my commentary to take from the story. Like it's perfect how you tell it. Um this one says, Shortly after my husband and I moved to a brand new city, we were invited to join a church group by a member of that group. Out of around eight couples, we were the only people in the group without kids, but no one knew that when we were invited. Everyone was really nice to us and we were so excited to make friends, but I was pretty sure we were invited without checking with the group leaders. Um so I sort of wondered if the group leaders would have invited us if they had known we didn't have kids and couldn't really relate to parenting stuff. One night I had a very real dream that I overheard the group leaders in Target talking about how we didn't fit in the group. I could clearly see what aisle they were on. The next day I really did need to go to Target. And I remember thinking how weird it would be if I actually saw them there. Then I realized that even if they happened to be going to a Target, there were two other Targets closer to their house and they wouldn't even come to this one anyway. Well, you might have guessed it, but they were in this target, and I overheard them from one aisle over just like I did in my dream. That's insane. Not only that, but it was the exact aisle I saw them in in my dream. The only difference is that I was on the opposite aisle from my dream, i.e., if they were on aisle 6, I was on aisle 5 in my dream, but I was on aisle 7 in real life. They weren't talking about how we didn't fit in, but instead what stickers to get their daughter. I peeked around the corner to double-check this was real life and actually happening and we all said hi and they were super friendly to me as usual. I freaked out and pretty much checked out right then and went in the car to call my husband. Was it a sign to chill out because they're not actually talking about us and how we don't fit in? Maybe, who knows? But it felt supernatural and freaky. That is supernatural and freaky and there is a Reddit thread called Glitch in the Matrix, um, where they there's stories like this of inexplicable things that happen with like space and time that aren't like that religious or spiritual, but it's almost like, well like the movie The Matrix the the the, a glitch draws someone's attention to the fact that they are in a simulation um it's almost like a malfunction like she dreamed that situation happened as if it was like a memory or something derivative of something that already happened but it actually hadn't happened yet and there's something that was jacked up about the order like i don't believe that in the the you know elon musk simulation theory but i like the um expression in terms of just being such an illogical occurrence that just doesn't it's like so it's it's coincidental and detailed beyond deja vu like glitches in the matrix are like kind of like deja vu deja vu is an aspect of something that could be described as that but this is like wild there's one story on that thread where it's actually interesting because it, i think reddit's a fascinating place i think there's a lot of danger in the anonymity of online forums but i also Marvel at the generosity of people that are anonymous and will get no credit otherwise about the thing they're explaining at length or the personal life experiencing they're detailing. Um, but there's so some of the stories are so stupid. Um, but if you sort by like top all time or top this year or whatever, there's one story that's kind of goes down in Reddit history of a person that's explaining a situation where, um, he thought his landlord was breaking into his house or his apartment, because there were post-it notes everywhere, like on the microwave on the fridge, like it was like he was writing himself notes, but like that doesn't make any sense, so like somebody had to be breaking in his house and doing it. It's a much longer story that I'm not detailing well right now, but one of the people in the comments was, like, it sounds like he might be hallucinating due, like due to carbon monoxide poisoning, and it turned out he had a carbon monoxide leak it was like enough to make him crazy but not enough to kill him super weird so but the problem is now on that thread every time something weird happens someone's like is there a carbon monoxide leak bro and then like everyone gets scared uh (laughs) but there's a lot of interesting stories on there like another glitch it's kind of like you know when you see the same thing twice in a row in like too like small of a time period and it's like a thing you never normally see you're just like that doesn't seem weird but yeah that strong feeling of like deja vu i've been here before like I like I don't know. it's it's almost like your brain is playing tricks on you, and there actually is a scientific term for deja vu or the way it's kind of explained is like you know how there's a word on the tip of your tongue. And like more noticeable than like the word is the absence of it or like the the, the fact that you know you know it and you're searching for it, but you're like, why can't I get it? it? It's kind of the same feeling, but like with your memory that you maybe aren't realizing, it's our brains acknowledging similarity and familiarity but the memory's on like the tip of your tongue like the you can't connect the memory and you it's not in your brain but there's an like you know you once knew it but you can't access it so deja vu is that tip of your tongue type feeling but with memories does that make sense probably not i need to move on this one is back in 2011 i was going through a hard time and didn't know how to talk to my family about it waspy emotional repression is so dumb y'all <laughs> louder for those in the back like, what is this life? Like, what are we doing here? Like, not telling people how we feel and hoarding information to ourselves. Like, I just I I I think th- there's so many th- issues with families and life and friends of people that are just th- you cannot get through to and do not communicate. and You have to modify your behavior around. But I think sometimes people are way more open than you might think. And breaching these discomforts will only ultimately make you closer. And sometimes I do think it's worth a shot um sorry i have a lot of thoughts on waspy emotional repression <laughs> and catholic guilt and just general carpet sweeping of uh, image-based families uh, anyway let's see one day i was taking a midday nap and i had a dream where i was napping and a knock on my apartment's front door woke me up this is in the dream i was napping and woke up in my dream So the dream version of me got up and opened the front door to my apartment and there was my older sister who lived about five hours away who came to surprise me because she knew I was going through something and needed her. Then dream me told her what was happening and I don't know what happened next because a knock on my apartment door in real life woke me up from that dream. I thought, huh, that's weird. It'd be crazy if my sister was here, opened the front door and there was my sister who lived five hours away and came to surprise me. I had no idea she was on her way. It was a genuine surprise visit and she was so confused when I wasn't surprised to see her. And I said something like, I knew it was going to be you. I still get goosebumps when I think about this crazy coincidence. And it's hard to believe that it is real. But I'm glad that this little sign from the universe prepped me for my surprise guest, even if only five minutes ahead of time. I mean, that's like a full-on premonition. Or, I mean, I, I, th- I told you stories about me and my sister. I swear, energetically, there's something there. You know, if if you're close and if you kind of can gauge something's going on. Um, the fact that she... I feel like there's an equity, an equity, not inequity. There, there's an equity there in terms of her receiving the energy on her end somehow that made her think you needed her but didn't tell you in advance because you might push back. Uh, and you having that connection to her and energy to know she was coming, even though she hadn't told you. Like there's there's kind of like a mutual connectivity there. That's what people say twins have. What, what do they call it? Twins having telepathy? I'm very interested in that as well. I mean, they share DNA. There's going to be something there, right? Let's see. This person said, when I was younger, let's say second to sixth grade, my neighbor's grandson spent about 90% of the time at their house. He was in my grade in school and became close with my older brother. We hung out all day, every day. One day, driving home from the library with my mom and a couple other kids, we happened upon a car wreck that had just happened. Like, there were hubcaps spinning in the road and no EMS there yet. As my mom slowed down and we looked around for the cards, we saw a kid walking along the side of the road with some blood on him. It was my neighbor, that little boy, the grandson who visited next door 90% of the time. The car had gone off the road and over a hill. My mom ended up sitting with his grandma while EMS tried to get her out of the car. So the, the little boy, my, uh, his, the friend, came to sit with us and wait. His grandmother ended up passing away that day while he was waiting with us eventually he stopped spending so much time next door and we grew up and started hanging out with different groups we weren't close anymore fast forward 10 years valentine's day my senior year of high school my grandma had been sick and in the hospital for a while but a friend had a party and my mom thought i needed a break from hanging out at the hospital my old neighbor was at the party despite it not being his usual group of friends the little boy who was with her when his grandmother died 10 years ago so her old neighbor was at the party despite it not being his usual group of friends, and So he was there holding my hand when it was my turn to get the call that my grandma had passed away. And he was sitting there with me until someone from my family could come get me. He was the first person I knew well to experience a grief like that. And my grandma was the first person to pass away that I was close to. There was something so comforting about having him there, knowing he understood and knowing we'd been in the exact opposite situation uh, years before. That's really cool. I love that. That gave me goosebumps, too that's interesting that's like a flip-flop of situations and like the fact that you weren't close i don't know i love that so much this person said um her dad died unexpectedly in july 2017 at the age of 59 not only was this incredibly heartbreaking for my family and i but it was two weeks after my engagement the viewings and funeral were awful and i know everyone meant well when they did this but everyone congratulated me on the engagement and asked a million questions about the wedding Ooh, yeah i would know for, for me that made grieving more painful anything wedding related was a huge reminder he wasn't going to be there and walk me down the aisle or celebrate with family and friends i'm so grateful for my sisters and friends who called venues and set up appointments with florists photographers etc i simply couldn't bring myself to do the planning oh god bless your heart i couldn't i know i understand um in honor of my dad i had his postal service patch sewn into my wedding dress he was a mail carrier for 42 years i'm already getting upset i don't He was very proud to be a mail carrier. He absolutely loved talking with everyone in the community and made a lot of friends and connections in this way. In middle school, he would freak my friends out and embarrass me by reciting their address to them once he heard their last name. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) We laugh about this now because nowadays we would think it's so creepy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, He had a great knack for remembering names, addresses, and what year people graduated high school. He would use this information to make connections between people who have never met. And weirdly enough of a lot of people have become friends through my dad's chattiness and crazy memory. He had a major impact on our community and bringing people together at his three viewings. There were lines wrapped around the building of people waiting to see him and greet us. It was crazy. Our funeral home director said they'd never seen anything like it. And the only thing that compared was a governor's viewing and funeral at his funeral. There was over a thousand people and not an empty pew in church. I hope this doesn't come off as a weird brag about how popular my dad was, but a reminder of how much of an effect you can have on people by being kind and having meaningful conversations. I don't think it's a brag, and I 100% agree. My two uncles are also mail carriers. I guess you could say that this is a weird family business of sorts, considering we have a few other family members who work for the Postal Service. One of my uncles came across an old mailbox. He was planning on giving to my dad on his 60th birthday. Instead, we used it for all the cards at the wedding. I'm so happy we were able to honor my dad in these simple ways now for the signs also sorry if this is long and too detailed never um it feels very therapeutic so thank you i'm honestly that's amazing i whenever people write me and i don't get a chance to read their story i'm like i hope they got something out of at least like writing this down articulating it and at the very least since i'm always encouraging people to write down these things i hope it now you have record of it and you can search for it in your email um I, I, I always went there to be a purpose or someone, you know, I never want you to feel like your effort's wasted. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> wedding day was October 20th, 2018. I was never nervous except for 15 to 20 minutes before I needed to walk down the aisle. I don't know if I was actually nervous or if it was just that my dad wasn't there. My brother walked me down the aisle and I had my dad's handkerchief... Is <laughs> uh, Handkerchief to help me with the tears. The wedding was beautiful and as soon as we walk outside of the church... A mail truck pulls up outside. Everyone looks at each other and screams, It's a mail truck! Brittany, do you see the mail truck? We run to the truck and grabbed a few pictures w- while it was parked. Sorry, I had to take a minute. <laughs> I've not, you can't even hear me talking. Um, dad and daughter stories destroy me. Um, let's see, where was I? Uh, We, oh, I've never felt his presence more than in those few moments, and I'll always cherish that. During the reception, everyone kept asking us how we pulled it off. How did they know to drive up at that exact moment? People really thought we planned it. It was beautiful and confirmed for me that he's always with us. We used those pictures for our family Christmas cards, so my dad could be a part of them, too. Whew, I loved that. That was really sweet. And I think, like, uh, I actually really appreciate the uh, context of your dad's role in the community. And I think it's an important reminder, too, um, especially with like the essential workers we see every day and that are such parts of our community and they're kind of fixtures and we maybe take them for granted because of their frequency um to reach out and get to know them and leave something for them if you can and just interact and there's just so much we have to gain from that connection and i just love that he was such a fixture in your community and i love that he showed up in such like a meaningful way like i love that he had that personality and also he like made a dramatic entrance at your your recessional i think it's really cool um and also i was obsessed with mail carriers when i was a kid and i dressed as a mail carrier for career day and my mom and i went to the post office I was like five and they lent me a mail bag and a hat i think and uh my picture got in the paper i think for wearing it i was kind of in the background but I was pretty stoked. I thought I just really thought it was cool that they got to hand out all the mail because I loved getting mail and I thought it was like really exciting. Who was sending me mail at five, though? I was getting like American Girl catalogs. Some people um, wrote me several stories. I like transferred over to a document excerpts from. Um, Sorry if I don't read everyone's entire email. I just some kind of pulling different things. So I have a balance of stories. Let's see this one. This one's three parts. It says, my grandparents on my mom's side had these fake candles in their windowsill in their bedroom for Christmas every year. The batteries had died, so they removed them and just left them year-round for decoration. I don't know why. When my grandfather passed away for the first two years after his death, my grandma told us that every other night or so, the candles would start to light up. Very creepy, considering there were no batteries. Uh, but also, she believed it was a sign he was with her. I love that. Uh, and Then she said, my whole life April has been... My lucky month and 11 has been my lucky number. It's like my Taylor Swift 13. That being said, the day and time I met my current boyfriend, who I firmly believe is my one was 410 2017 and 1111. So go figure with that one. Wait, how do you know what time you met him? That's crazy. I've seen a few people make commentary about 1111. Remember when Paris Hilton used to Snapchat 1111, make a wish. (laughs) That was a weird time. Uh, I don't have an affiliation with 1111, but I, I think that's so interesting that so many people do. I don't. A lot of people have number things. I don't have that many numbery things, like, except for the, I have date things. Um, but I hear a lot of people say they always look at the clock at this one time. I think it's so interesting. Um, she also said, my pop used to always tell us that his late father collected a Roosevelt dimes while he was alive. And now he lets us know he's with us by leaving them around. There have been extremely coincidental moments in my life where I've looked down then up, then back down again and found a random 1962 Roosevelt dime appear in the exact place that I just saw. All of these really confuse me, however, because I've been told my whole life that when you pass away, you either go to heaven or you don't. All of the talk of this middle ground where spirits linger on Earth is very contradictory to what I believe and is very confusing, but there have been a lot of weird experiences I can't explain. Can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying earlier, is that well first it's great I I've, I've heard stories with dimes and pennies but it's interesting that you see this 1962 Roosevelt dimes um, but thank you for writing in love all of that um, a lot there's a lot of people with like candles and lights and like there's so much stuff with lights like i wonder if it's with spirits and like electricity you know but or lack thereof with battery powered things but um yeah to your point that's what i i've had a few people comment on that or like write in in terms of the contradiction of uh like uh, theories of, about the afterlife and how hard and fast you know heaven and hell is for christians and i think you know to so what i was talking about in the last episode sometimes my hesitation uh with adopting you know i like to take and leave things and adopting the full spectrum of a particular belief system is that i think things that um you know regular humans have interpreted as um Rules and guidelines and uh, truth to make a doctrine of a particular denomination, religion, whatever it is. I just keep in mind that I feel like everything we know to be the constructs of the faith is rooted in a human's interpretation of it and a collective of humans that decided this is what it is and we're going to tell everybody to abide by and therefore i feel a right to a level of interpretation my other concern is previously stated that is a broader theological conversation for a different day is um the the santa claus of it all right like the something needs to be hung over people's heads that you need to ultimately be able to control in order to get them to behave Not that that's the spirit of it now, but that like at some point, at a a point in time, when the world was a very different place. There's an element that was rooted in that. I think back to, you know, I mean, like you go back to the, you know, when was it like the 12th century, 11th, 12th through the 15th, when this like complex system of all the things you needed to do for penance um, to guarantee your salvation, because at the time the belief was heaven hell or purgatory and a way to like have to you know live out your your to repent for your sins in the afterlife was through purgatory or in advance you could do x y and z throughout your life part of that turned into what was called indulgences where people it was literally the sale of indulgences by partners where your salvation was tied up with money and um this was a huge abuse of the system that happened for hundreds of years that even as the papacy weekend the secular governments allowed the granting of indulgences and just took a cut of the amount and it's like th- there's so much corruption happening during that period and like still can't even wrap my head around the sale of one's salvation but when you think about prosperity gospel and all that stuff i think there's so much weird intertwining of mo- the, ch- the church with money but when i use that example because or even you know like the the f- whole foundation of the catholic church was a nero and the gang i mean like anytime you historically revisit the uh, history and I guess I'm talking specifically about Catholicism here but um which obviously the protestant church spun off from that uh, because somebody wanted to div- divorce their wife you look at the history and you're like there is so much room for error here there is so much ability for things to get lost in translation there is there's so many personal interests at stake and people in power that could easily manipulate things to their advantage and as much as i want to believe the sanctity and the purity of the word as it is that i'm reading it now as it was initially intended i don't think that's realistic um i'm gonna be careful here because i it's like if you whatever you believe that is totally fine um but if you're asking the question of this contradicts with what my church what my faith tells me is the truth i just encourage you to like research like ask questions google stuff read books like i don't want to tell you how to feel or what to believe i don't think there's as long as you're not harming anybody else whatever your belief system is that's wonderful if it brings you peace that's wonderful it's like, I don't really believe in the concept of a hell, but then I think about people like Jeffrey Epstein. And I'm like, well, if he's not rotten and hale, to quote Bernie Cartwright, like, like, I don't know what this life is. Like, I need people like him to perish. But, you know, so it's like I have my own contradictions and conflict. But uh, there is an episode of, I think it's Fresh, yeah, Fresh Air, Terry Gross's show. Um, they She interviews a guy who wrote a book called heaven and hell A history of the afterlife and this guy is a he's a distinguished professor of religious studies at unc chapel hill he is a very widely read and respected scholar of early christianity in the new testament he has a book um that and also he was like an evangelical um he's like a born again he's like a fundamentalist or something and he went to princeton um theological to study theology and when he read the texts and interpretations there he completely changed his um, viewpoint on christianity and it made him kind of tease out all of the different ways that he thinks jesus was misquoted how jesus became god how we perceive heaven and hell he kind of uh, talks about the distinguishing um, beliefs between uh, christians interpretation of the Old Testament versus Judaism. He talks about how different, you know, economic, political leadership climates impacted the way uh, views and texts evolved. It's interesting. And and again, I don't say that to t- talk anybody out of their beliefs. I say it in terms of I, I think it's worthwhile to have a lot of different sources of input into um, I don't know, I, I just think hearing a subject matter expert on theology go into it as like a a fundamentalist and evangelical. They go into it because they're a believer and an extreme one at that and come out of it as agnostic, I think is very interesting. Or I guess like the perspective of religion from a standpoint of like academia, when you don't, there's not like a specific agenda there. And even like re-examining what we learned in school, that we weren't that interested at the time about world history and about religion's role in conflict. I think is so interesting to revisit And I don't know, like Western versus Eastern. Um, I feel like I said this earlier, but I I, I, again, like I think it's so interesting when you break down some aspects of what people will write off is like, I think what's funny is that a lot of the um, things considered kind of like woo um, spiritual nonsense that people will make fun of for people like in L.A. for or whatever. Some of it's insane. Like I'm not I'm not super into like crystals and stuff or whatever, but like. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow didn't invent reincarnation. Like, Tracy Anderson didn't invent karma. Like, millions of people people believe these things, and they aren't nonsense. It's very rude to to say that they are. And Hinduism is way older than Christianity. Buddhism's a little bit older. So I think it's a funny thing where Westerners write off a lot of Eastern beliefs and are almost ridiculed for entertaining them when really... It's not like one small, bizarre group. It's not like the burning man of religions. It's like, no, like a lot of, like a lot of people believe this for a lot longer than we've been around. Or even like, I feel like there's so much, um, when I was like, when I was at the the Southern Baptist camp, they, my mom and my mom's whole family, like very Irish Catholic. And they were, they very much held their opinions about Catholics. But now as an adult, I'm like, knock, knock. I mean, Aren't Protestants kind of the Vanderpump rules to the Catholic Church's housewives in terms of being a spinoff? That's a very, very basic and um, borderline insulting parallel to draw as it relates to Bravo, but the one I know my listenership will understand in terms of That one was part of the other at one point and spun off for its own purposes and then evolved into something that deserves its own credit and should no longer be tied to its original source, much like these kids do not need to thank Lisa Vanderpump for all that they have and all that they are. My God, someone can give you their break and then you can move on and have your own merits and not forever be indebted to them. But I just never really understood like what I don't know. They're extreme like prejudice, disdain for Catholics. And I know a lot of people that were Catholic that went to those camps felt very unwelcome. But yeah anyways i was just talking about being open to different sources in terms of like taking and leaving what you are and aren't comfortable with do and don't personally believe um like for me a big driver of kind of seeking i struggle with like the the kind of consequential punishment aspects um and i kind of like more eastern beliefs of like You get another chance, you know, if you don't do it in this life, do it in the next one. soul, many bodies like I'm much more drawn to things rooted in peace and love and harmony and not like wrath, punishment and fear. Long story short, believe what you want to believe. I don't mind at all. I don't want to talk you out of it. And I think for me, as I've entered into every different phase of life and done things that I never thought I would do, you know, in terms of like. I don't know. I guess like I've lived in like a really small town. Then I immediately moved to the biggest, like one of the biggest cities in the world to like having no diversity and a pretty like narrow experience to being opened up to every experience in the world. It completely turned my life and beliefs on its head. I've, you know, had money and I've had no money. I've like, I've worked in a big corporation. I've been self-employed and owned my own thing. Like I've lived a lot of different lives in extreme in in extremities that have forced me to examine what i believe and i think sometimes if never plucked from our comfort of which a certain set of beliefs operate nicely and you don't step back and kind of rethink it and i think i'm just I'm, I'm forced to like overhaul what gives me peace constantly and i feel like it's a gift because i tr- genuinely am so curious and i believe life is an ongoing series of discovery to further find out who you are and what works for you and your mind and body and soul and also to find what beliefs and experiences align to create your own specific system that you operate within and i believe in ethics and morals and all of that and i think religion is a great source of that um but i also try to like you know put some extra thought into things that do feel a little bit extreme and self-serving to the organizations that they represent i'm gonna stop talking my literally anytime i talk about religion i'm like my sister's dying like my people my loved ones are like stop talking you're gonna offend somebody but i just hope you guys understand my objective is never to offend or say you're stupid for believing that i just want to promote the ability for people to research and ask questions and have a better understanding of what it is that they are subscribing to because i think it makes your faith all the deeper you know I just think we have our own individual relationships with your God, whoever that may be. And nobody knows your spirit and your soul like you do. And you don't owe anybody an explanation. Similarly, I just I never want anybody to like I really only have good intentions. And I and I never it's just like I worry that my very light, breezy, flexible approach is something somebody would like misunderstand as being like something rooted in something much worse than it is when really I'm just like. Trying to be open, you know? I don't know. So just encouraging people to embrace the unknown. Guilt-free. Okay, next story. This past summer... Uh, no, sorry. About four and a half years ago, I lost my best friend Carter in a tragic driving accident. He was a significant piece of my college and post-college memories as well as for everyone in my friend group. This past summer, his parents were passing through and asked another friend and I to meet them for dinner. We went to a place that Carter loved right across the street from our favorite bar where we would spend many nights a week in college listening to live music if there's anywhere i would consider holy ground this is it even prior to this occurrence my friend keely um that introduced her to me i'll oh, love you keely and i had recently visited new orleans and carter's parents had as well and we were swapping stories keely and i had a funny ghost story or what we were convinced was one from our time in NOLA. as we sit outside the restaurant overlooking the area we spent so many nights with their son i told them our silly ghost story As I'm telling this story, we all stopped in our tracks over the speaker playing music on the patio came a song, not just any song, but a very, very deep cut that I had hand selected to be played at Carter's funeral. It's not a song or even a band that's well known. It's called where rainbows never die by the steel drivers. I've never heard of it. I never and still have not ever heard that song played in public outside of Carter's funeral in this moment, standing with his parents in the exact spot. We used to watch live music, make memories, became friends and realized our matching passion for obscure country music. There's no way this was a coincidence. The four of us stood there in disbelief and just stared and smiled at each other silently until the song was over. I still to this day, can't believe that moment happened, but I know without a doubt that Mike Carter was there and just wanted us to know. That's so sweet. And oh my gosh. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. Songs can be played, but it's like to be in that spot with his parents. You hand selected that. Like, I mean, and I, I mean, I feel like I have a decent knowledge of, uh, most standard music catalogs that would play in like a restaurant Sirius XM station, but yeah, I've absolutely never heard of that. And I know I'm not the best sample size, but um yeah, it's not like you know where the green grass grows by Tim McGraw. um That's so beautiful and amazing, and I hope that gave his parents a lot of peace, and that's really sweet. And I love that you all were together. And I think sometimes those situations, like maybe they're targeted because the more people that are there and experience it, it's like it happened to one person who kind of be like, yeah, yeah, I bet. But that's like I don't know independent of any explanation it's it's beautiful and important and i love that thank you for sending that i there's a lot of ones people send in about music my mom included um that i think are really cool of like a super specific song just like plays on the radio or of, of the loudspeaker or like while you're giving birth and it's it's pretty incredible uh and they're not, yeah if if it's if they're never like that generic of a song either or there's two people that wrote in and said their father's like favorite song was oh holy night and uh this is like specific version sung by this specific person and that and these are two different people they heard it like in the summer like on another like over a loudspeaker otherwise just playing completely like normal non-christmas music heard Oh holy night out of season when something very poignant involving their loved one happened and like i just it's so interesting like that he, It's like, yeah, even if it's likely you kind of stop in your tracks and you're like, but why now? Like, why of all places? And it's not even Christmas time. Anyway, Um, this person said. My mom passed away this September, right before I applied to law school, I literally said my final goodbye to my mom a mere five hours after taking the LSAT. Oh, my God. but that's another story. Suffice it to say that my law school application process and my mom's death are very intertwined. Since she passed, I've gotten several into several amazing schools, so I know she's been cheering me on this whole time. I was pretty set on Stanford. I still can't believe I'm typing that, and my imposter syndrome is real. So if there's, so if it's in any braggy, if it's in any way braggy of me, please just say school X or something, girlfriend. No, you are you kidding? i am I'm gonna I'm gonna scream it. That's awesome that you got into Stanford, and I'm proud of you, and that's so cool. You deserve it. Are you kidding me? The LSAT, like I tried to do one practice exam. And I got, like, less than a zero. It was like, please spare this country of becoming somebody that can practice the law. I am impressed. It's so cool. But you're sweet. It's it's our instinct to do that, right? Anyway. Um, but it was nerve-wracking to commit. This was my first major decision without my mom there to offer her guidance and support. Earlier this month, I left my NYC apartment due to coronavirus and went home to the suburbs. I had recently read that seeing... A Cardinal can be a sign that a loved one who has passed is visiting you, so for the past few weeks, I've kept my eyes peeled. This Tuesday, I tuned into Stanford's first info session for admitted students via Zoom. All day, it had been storming with high wind warnings and possible power outages. I look out my window, and what do I see? A Cardinal, right there perching on top of a tree. And to top it all off, Stanford calls its sports team the Cardinals. I guess it's slightly better than trees. I'm not hugely superstitious, but this was too eerie to ignore. I think my mom wanted to give me that final push to move out To a new coast, I'm from New England with confidence. I paid my deposit the next day. Thanks for reading. I almost feel weird sharing this with a stranger, but you're, oh. No, I I know. I know it's a little bit weird. And I am asking so much of people to share these. um, But again, I hope it's at least helpful to write it out. And I love this. And I have to tell you what's so interesting is that um, I was telling this story and um, one got a diet root beer. And checked my DMs. And I had a DM from somebody that said her friend lost her boyfriend in, in February, not long ago, and how she was kind of like trying to tell her, like, you know, people don't leave us, their souls stay with us, they're sending us signs, look for them. And that she was listening to this episode. But I don't want to tell it verbatim because she didn't give me permission to say it. She was a private DM. But long story short, it involves something happening listening to this episode and trying to affirm her friend and um, them just having seen. A cardinal, um, which are said to represent loved ones who have passed, and it's just kind of funny because I was like, I've never heard that before, and I never see cardinals. But then I, within like <laughs> a very short period of time, two people, as it relates to this episode, we're talking about cardinals. So I hope that's some validation for anybody out there who sees cardinals, and if you're out there, the person that DM me or the person's friend, you know, I actually hoped that if nothing else, I feel like I became privy to signs. Because of something I was reading or listening to at like a time when I was so like in my own head and in my own life, you could have cartoonishly knocked me over the head with a frying pan and I would have been like, just another Tuesday, you know, and I think sometimes we're very, we can be very blocked. Um, But a lot of times with that, you know, depth of emotion, there's a a level of vulnerability there where you're maybe open and more accepting to things than you normally would be. But I think fundamentally people are or aren't, and I hope if anybody that's struggling or has wondered if something coincidental or crazy has happened to them, this will nudge them in that direction to be reassured that people experience these highly specific things that help them move forward um all the time, and you're not crazy and you're not losing your mind, and it doesn't matter if anybody believes you and that the signs are there, and you need to look for them, and they might not always be super obvious, but um. I just think that there's no way they could intervene in a more like meaningful or obvious way without us being like seriously scared, you know, like it almost has to be a could it or couldn't it be situation. There's an interesting book that I, I, I go back and forth on. It's by Pam Grout. I think I've talked about it before. What's it called? Let me Google it. Uh, it's like numbers and a letter or something. It's like E something. <laughs> it's really helpful. Um, e squared. Okay. Yeah. It's called E squared. 9 do it yourself um experiments that prove your thoughts create your reality. It's kind of so like I've talked about my issues with um manifestation and the huge blind spot of privilege and the coincidence of people who have never previously taken advantage of existing resources and connections available to them when they focus on a thing they want they then access those resources and connections and sure you steer where you stare and a lot of like you know maybe it's partially law of attraction but i do think it's partial taking advantage of uh, your own you know privilege and i don't mean that in like a negative way so much as just the importance of acknowledging your level of access relative to another person and um but i think she does a good job talking about almost the way that this i don't know how to explain it she does a good job talking about if if I remember correctly, it's less like you're creating things out of thin air and more like the more you focus on something, the more you'll see it. And this, you know, exists for a, an, an, an inanimate object or a thing you want out of your career. And it's, a, it's if I recall right, it's a little bit more balanced and gives you nine like tangible exercises to start um, like seeing if these sorts of signs and universal synchronicities and energetic things kind of will happen to you. And um, and I think it's an interesting exercise for even a just like a non-believer to be like, OK, I think the first exercise is you have to pick something and um, like anything, like anything at all. And then see it within the next 48 hours. If you see it, I forget what I picked, but I definitely did. But again, it's like, you know, who knows? Um, OK, what was I talking about? yeah cardinals she sent me a really beautiful picture with the cardinal on top of this tree it was so regal and it was like on this christmas tree and it was like it was like it was so high and it had full clearance and i was like oh yeah that's like a that's something i wish i could i wish i could paint you that picture um because i hope you remember that there was somebody who wrote in that their grandfather was a world war ii vet and he had um a bald eagle on the side of his truck and after he passed one day she's like out and saw something like five bald eagles and then like somebody in her family saw several bald eagles and like the there was kind of a crazy story of this like frequency of these people seeing these bald eagles meanwhile i'm like i've never seen a bald eagle i'd be so startled i thought they were like endangered or something i'd be like hey bro don't you belong in dc like why are you here (laughs) i've only seen them on like money maybe i've lived in the city too long is is a bald eagle common in the an idiot is it like a bluebird are bluebirds common i don't even know what a common bird is a goldfinch um i just was like damn it's a lot of bald eagles. I'd be shocked. I'm sure there's, are they regal in person? I'd imagine. But yes, to wrap up the original story to the girl going to Stanford, I'm so proud of you. That is such a big life accomplishment that your mom is so proud of, that you should be so proud of, and that you worked your ass off to get. So never dull your own flame. So somebody else, you know, doesn't feel bad or thinks you're shining too bright. Rather, our flames help light the path for other people and inspire them. And when we earn things that are important and a big deal, Other people that are jealous or uncomfortable with it can go after themselves. And the people that matter, your joy is their joy, your accomplishments are their accomplishments, therefore they bask in your glow, if you will. There's this song we used to sing. Oh crap, I don't know if it's ritual. It only takes a spark to keep a fire going, and soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. Is that is my friend Lindsay's probably gonna be like that's like kappa delta, like in the vault top secret i should google that <laughs> uh also one of the best things that, like best pieces of advice i've ever heard in life was from diane von Furstenberg um on a little show called the city when she told whitney port as it relates to her then boyfriend king icon legend hugely memorable human jay of a band called banana rama who's australian <laughs> just kidding i told you before i saw him in new york on the street i was like on sixth avenue and i was like this is 10 years after the city aired and i was like so exciting anyway she's quoting someone else but it just i don't know why this stuck with me when i was watching the city but it was basically like absence is to love what wind is to fire when like it's a small fire, the wind kills it. But when it's a big fire, it intensifies it. It, it extinguishes the small, it kindles the great, right? So you shouldn't be fearful of distance or hardship because the underlying love you have um, will only grow and intensify. And what be a distance, hardship, whatever. And I always thought that was like a really beautiful way to think about it because I do think sparks, it, it fizzle when there's nothing there and sometimes these extenuating circumstances help us reach conclusions more quickly and sometimes they're absolute torture because your feelings intensify more that's how i felt in a long distance relationship it was like i couldn't even handle it it was so pathetic it was like a few months <laughs> um, like but honestly how did i just start quoting diane von Furstenberg from the city quoting someone else as i i just got so off topic i was talking about stanford oh no oh oh i was <laughs> i made up my own metaphor about not dulling your own flame got it anyways love you thank you for writing in i mean thank everybody truly like I, I i it's like as i finish out each story i'm like oh i'm adequately explaining to people how much i appreciate them writing in even no matter how casually i'm saying it because it's, it's there's like some of these i had to like re-record because i was like i can't get be emotional for like, you can't even hear me uh, <laughs> so uh can you imagine if I was a, did voiceovers for like audiobooks, They'd be like, and then Edward Collins said, you are my life now, Bella. I would have loved to narrate the toilet books. Honestly, the worst part about my family trip to Umbria being canceled in a few weeks. Hey, yeah, the loss of t- family togetherness and the fact that I was looking forward to it to three years and it was like already like completely done and signed, sealed, delivered. And I've been looking forward to it for ages was that um, for my dad's birthday, I got, oh, I need to cancel that. It got us like a tour of um, Montepulciano, like the town and a bunch of vineyards. And I like the wine Montepulciano, not d'Abruzzo, the other kind. And uh, I was honest. It was honestly Kate's uh, Volturi tour, 2K20, that I wasn't going to tell anybody I was going on. But like I was just going to be, you know, in the uh, twilight. Was it Breaking Dawn or um, Eclipse when they introduced the Volturi in Italy? They filmed there for a while. Anyways, wow, well, again, not on topic. But I thought that... Um, story about the cardinal it's like exactly what i've always been talking about it's like regardless it's sometimes like for these things to happen when you are facing a huge decision that you're a little bit unsure of to act as some sort of a nudge it's like they're not doing anything that's just gonna like overhaul and shake your world and do something like insane it's just a nudge it's a tip of the scale and i think that's like what my sister needed that's what i've needed at times and it's just it's the, t- the timing of it all is always so interesting. It's hard to believe, too, that like me as an afterlife version of myself wouldn't like play tricks on people. But maybe I'm going to be more mature in the afterlife, you know, because people are always doing such meaningful stuff. I'm always wondering, like, does anybody have like a funny story of somebody with like a sense of humor doing something silly? But is that an earthly construct? I don't know person said i believe in signs in the uni- in the universe lining up things in a certain way and i've had quite a few instances but here's the most significant one that comes to mind i'm a nanny and several years ago i was nannying for a family who i was very close to and still am the father of the kids was um wait sorry the father of the kids i was nannying for had been very ill for over a year and had been on the heart transplant list for quite a while at this time i was also engaged to be married my fiancé ended up cheating on me and I called off the wedding. It was a hard decision because I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay and work it out with him. And I felt awful because my dream destination wedding was already planned and paid for. I decided to do what was right for me and my future and G- GTFO. So I moved back in with my nanny family, who are seriously like actual family at this point. And a few weeks passed by. On th- One day, the house phone rings and I answer it. It's the transplant coordinator saying they have a heart for the kid's father. I excitedly rushed to tell him who is on the phone and that it's time. It was a super emotional moment to be a part of. After a few hours of the commotion and craziness, I, I noticed it's the exact day that, I was spo- that was supposed to be my wedding. It just felt like a sign to me that I was in the right place and that I had made the right choice leaving my rotten, cheating ex. Also, had the wedding actually happened that day, the family, at least the mom and kids, would have been out of town 12 hours away attending the wedding, so the timing was just kind of crazy. I was happy to be there to watch after the kids and manage the household while such an intent life event was going on with their family. The good news is is that their dad is doing very well now, seven plus years later, and I am now very happily married to a wonderful man. Oh, I love that coincidence. I'm so glad a wonderful, meaningful person in your life. A great man was given a heart, and I'm so glad you did not give yours away to the wrong person. You know, a lot there with hearts and uh, who deserves ours, right? is that and also i don't know a lot about transplants if they call you you go that right then like if they were 12 hours away would they have been like knocked down the list that's crazy so you just kind of like live your life waiting to have a serious surgery on a dime and also a heart my god with young kids like i can't i just it kills me especially with like when kids are young and like i just My grandma passed away in 2008 when I was 16. We were so so close, like BFF close. She suffered from a brain aneurysm and was on life support for two days before passing. Since she's passed, I've had these very lucid dreams where we're at her house or just walking around in her garden or on the front porch like we used to. She always asks about things currently happening happening in my life. About 18 months ago, I dreamed of her for the first time in two years. Again, the same thing, walking in her garden. She told me she was at my wedding, she loved, and that she loves my husband. And for the first time, I remember asking her a question. I said, what's it like where you are? And she put her finger to her lips and shushed me and told me not to ask about the other side that it will ruin it for me. I asked why I hadn't seen her in so long. And she said she didn't have enough tokens. She was so active in my dreams in high school, but kind of tapered off after I met my husband. I was reading an article once and I was talking about how much energy it must take to get a message to someone you love, especially once they are healing and no longer always looking for a sign. And it kind of clicked. She was probably expressing she didn't have enough energy to be at my beck and call especially when so much was going on to distract me in my late teens and 20s and now that i think about it more my grandpa used to pick me up from school every thursday and we'd go to the arcade by their house we'd stay for a couple hours or so and then we'd go home and have dinner at their house and she'd always ask me how many tokens i won and now i'm sitting here crying missing her all over again oh well i didn't want to make you cry um but that's sweet and the tokens is, like, is super specific you know like i think there's a lot of common things people have in signs but i when it's that specific especially to something you used to do together that's sweet and i also love that she wouldn't tell you because like she almost wants you to be like surprised by how great it is you know i would imagine that's the for lack of a better word cardinal rule of um you know not it's like you know the first rule about fight club it's like the first rule about the afterlife is like no spoilers like spo- no spoilers <laughs> like this is going to be so great for everyone and it doesn't behoove anybody on earth to know what it is because even if they tried to tell people they probably wouldn't believe them anyway so just like let them be in shock and awe and glory and be with all everybody they love you know in that podcast i was talking about with npr the guy was saying how socrates i think who was like an atheist and just like a philosopher he was saying um they he sees it one of two ways socrates that we live on and see those we know before and those we didn't know before And we spend all of our time together and for him this was like a form of paradise because he was so obsessed with conversing with people and he would like fantasize about getting to converse with all the great philosophers of greek past that he didn't cross paths with um and then he said alternatively he believes like a deep sleep and like everybody loves a deep dreamless sleep and nobody gets scared or upset by it and you don't know what happens when you wake up, but the alternative's really peaceful as well. And you relax after life. And like he was kind of saying, like, even an atheist interpretation of it is not scary either way. And I was like, that's kind of nice, too, even because I just feel like I don't I don't I hate the idea of like nothing. Right. Um, and I feel like there's too, too many things I've heard and seen, experienced people have had like it just it can't be that way. And um, I really love the fact that, like, in your dream, you like talked about the afterlife. I think that's kind of meta and fascinating. Um, thank you so much for sharing. This person said, my grandma and I were so close. My husband and I moved to Saskatchewan. She put three exclamation marks after that. And I wonder if it's because you go on, you're on the PowerPoints. And then we always talk about Saskatchewan with Haley uh, to be closer to her. I called her every night at 730 for the last two, three years of my life. And if I couldn't, I would arrange for my husband, dad or aunt because she rightfully expected it. Anyway, the day she was dying, she hadn't been sleeping for days and we knew it was close. I drove to her home. I was with my two aunts, my dad's sisters, and my parents were in British Columbia trying to get a flight out. He was flying standby because I worked for an airline and everything was sold out. He was supposed to be on a flight and last minute his seat was sold and he couldn't make it. He had just been there days before while she was awake, so it wasn't that heartbreaking. And my aunt took the call from him in the hallway and came back into grandma's room and said, well, Rick won't be here until late tonight. He said, you don't have to wait for him, mom. And the same aunt's phone rang right after that, and it said an unknown number, and that my, a line my other, wait, she said unknown number and went out in the hallway again. As I heard her say hello, hello, to an obviously blank line, my other aunt and I saw my grandma take a last deep breath. You will never convince me that she wasn't waiting on word from my dad for my aunt her oldest to not be there because she wouldn't be able to handle watching it. And yeah, she freaked out that she wasn't here that she wasn't there when we told her so i lied and was like no you were totally here it was before you left but thinking this is what she wanted and she believed me and was relieved um yeah that's not something i want I, that's not what i would want either to see like i don't it's like I, I kind of actually get what you're saying like she she would have felt like it meant something that she wasn't there but you actually know that it probably wasn't the best thing for her so you just kind of like evened it out by being like no you're good because it actually probably isn't a thing not everybody is prepared for or wants to see, certainly not me. Um, i okay, so the next day, the same aunts, my dad and I went to her room to at the care home to clean it out. Her bed was neatly made, not a crease in it or anything. We boxed up her stuff, piling it on the bed, and then taking it down to our cars at the end. My dad and I were just finishing up, and I grabbed the last thing on her bed. Literally, her room was empty except for a hospital bed, a dresser and me, one of those decorative hats, you know, the straw with the flowers that are purely to hang on your wall that my other grandma had made her years prior. I picked it up and there was a single penny underneath it. A couple days later, there was a memorial service like thing at her home the day before the funeral. My aunt and I were packing up stuff to take it to the funeral home. So I grabbed an empty box, flipped it upside down to make sure it was empty and started putting in the picture frames, vases, et cetera, to transport it. And when it was half full, my aunt noticed it was a crown royal box, and she thought it would be inappropriate to bring it to a church. So we were moving stuff from that box to a new box. The last thing in the first box was a picture of my grandma, my dad, and myself as I moved it over. Two pennies were underneath it in that previously empty box. Whoa, that's spooky. Wait, so you turned it over, it was empty. You put stuff in it that wasn't any of that. She said, "Let's move it out of the Crown royal box and then but in that box you thought it was empty, where's the picture of your dad, you, your grandma, and two pennies, and you also found pennies on her bed that's wild I've, there's a lot of things with change um so I, even though I feel like a lot of you have the same signs, it's always like in a different way or format, and part of me thinks that these are just like the easiest vehicles of things that like aren't jarring and supernatural and too crazy that could be there, but also like shouldn't be there and weren't there and I also wonder like with security cameras like with nest footage like even with me in like the office when I was empty and then I come come back and like there's a heart on the wall or like in a frame it's like who put that there and like if we had footage like could I see that you know and and will that spoil it I don't know it's like I'm interested to see how our world evolves how these signs do as well Well, perhaps I'll have to get more creative but I love that and that's so cool and especially it's like one thing if it's just the first penny but then it happens again it's like you know, if you turn over a box, like even a picture could get shoved in a crease. But like you'd hear the change. Right. Anyways, I love that. Thank you for sharing um, wild that she passed right after you said your dad uh, not to wait for him. I mean, it's just like nuts. Those right before stories, they, they get me every time. Um, this person said I'll, I'm going to do a few more. These are lighter. They're just coincidences, not necessarily like life or death things. Uh, after a nervous breakdown at age 25, I moved home from Chicago to Texas. I didn't have a job, but applied for every position that I was remotely qualified for in two cities that I su- where I had a support system. My friend let me know there was a job in her department in admissions at my alma mater in another city two hours away. I made it to the final two candidates, but they ultimately went with someone else who was currently working at the university. So I stayed with my parents, eventually found a job, and moved back out. I also reconnected with an old friend, and we started dating. After our wedding, a little more than two years ago, I moved home. My friend asked me how I knew this guy, Dan, after seeing him at our wedding. And I said that Dan was one of my husband's best friends. They have the same hobby. My friend, but my friend knew Dan because they had worked together before she had changed careers. <laughs> Dan, so it turns out Dan got the job, but she didn't. Something that facilitated her staying in her hometown, which led to her getting married. She said, I'm agnostic, but that was confirmation that the universe was looking out for me. That's so funny. Okay, so you didn't get this job because you lost out to another guy. It required you to move back home and find a new job, whatever, which I'm sure was rough at the time. But because you moved back home, you reconnected with an old friend. Your old friend happened to be best friends with this guy, Dan, from their same hobby. But it was Dan that got you that got the job that you didn't get. But if he hadn't gotten that job, you wouldn't have met or reconnected with your now husband. I love that. What a fun, like, intertwining. That's really cool. I love that. This person said, my story isn't what I call spiritual. It's more just a crazy coincidence that blows my mind. About four years ago, my roommate and I were looking for a new apartment in D.C. We visited a few that we found via Craigslist, including including one in a really cute, semi-quiet neighborhood. Um, We went to visit this place. It ended up being a really unique situation. It was the basement apartment, but still above ground of a huge house where the floor above the basement was being renovated by the guy who owned the house the very top floor had a bedroom living room and bathroom kind of like a bachelor pad with no kitchen the guy who showed us the house used to live in the basement but worked out a deal with the landlord to move upstairs to the bachelor pad but he would still use the basement kitchen (laughs) that's annoying (laughs) the kitchen had a back door of sorts that led to the upstairs and he would just use that as a private entrance of sorts this is confusing i know the apartment itself had a super interesting floor plan. It was full of light and was unlike any apartment we'd see before. We loved it upon seeing it and moved in a few weeks later. The guy in the bachelor pad, we'll call him Brian, was our exact age and ended up becoming our good friend. Well, that's good. That could have gone the other direction. <laughs> we met each other's friends, cooked together, partied together, and had an overall became good buddies. He used the kitchen only every so often and always let us know before he was about to come in. I honestly, I would love to. I, I, I would Carol Radzyville, uh all day and not I, like she turned her kitchen into an office. Like, I think I like having the option of cooking, but if it was like financially and health wise, okay for me to eat takeout every day, 100% would, my life would be so joyful. Anyways, <laughs> not the point. Okay, so about six months after we moved in, I got a text from my cousin Elizabeth, who lived in Baltimore at the time. She asked me if I knew a guy named Brian Smith. I said, Yeah, he's my roommate. She goes, Ha ha, I'm dating his brother. So here's where it gets interesting. It turns out my cousin and Brian's brother were in the Peace Corps together in Mozambique 15 years ago. They were friends there, were dating other people. They left the Peace Corps and lost touch when they moved back to the U.S. He moved to Boston and she moved to Baltimore. About a year and a, year and a half or so before I moved into the apartment with Brian, my cousin and Brian's brother, both single, saw each other at a Peace Corps reunion and started chatting. Around the time I moved to the D.C. apartment, they started long-distance dating casually. Brian's mom was the one who connected the dots and discovered the connection. When we moved in, Brian told her about my roommate and I, and her ears perked up at my last name. It's not super common. She asked Brian and his brother if Elizabeth and I were related. The way Brian's mom says it, both the boys rolled their eyes and said, no, it's just a coincidence without looking into it at all. It's such a dude thing. I'd be on Facebook immediately. Um, Well, their mom pursued it again and a few months later and saw that Elizabeth and I were friends on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what we do um sealed the deal for her and she texted brian's brother who texted elizabeth who texted me by the way i love my cousin but we're not that close we just see each other maybe once a year or so so it wasn't unusual for us to not figure this out ourselves well anyway elizabeth and brian's brother kept dating elizabeth moved from baltimore to boston and they got engaged and got married so now brian is my cousin-in-law or something like that haha <laughs> at this point we're no longer roommates but we're still friends brian's whole best man speech is about this super random connection that is crazy, especially because you found him on Craigslist, and that, honestly, when you to- first started saying that roommate situation about, like, a dude, a bachelor at the top that, like, can pop into your apartment at his leisure, I was like, oh, A lot of people probably would be freaked out by that. it be, It's fun if it's, like, sitcom and they're, like, cute and normal and clean and respectful, but it could... <laughs> especially on craigslist have gone the opposite direction so it is crazy that all of those things intertwined and you felt comfortable living there it's probably something to that actually now that you say that so when my husband first moved to chicago he moved in with a friend he went to school with but they there's a third bedroom they put on craigslist the guy that ended up moving in there who's now are still our good friend 10 years later has like a group of friends that like we've been around a decent amount that like we're not directly close with, but they're all, we're always at like the same birthday party and stuff for this guy, and we see him a decent amount. Um, a year or two ago, one of the guys who's like been around, I see, wait, I forget what happened. He's basically on an email chain and he has um, the same last name as my husband. I kept my maiden name. And it's not a common last name at all. It's, it seems like it would be, but it's not. And um, long story short, we're again at this guy's birthday that, the following year. And we figure out that they are, in fact, related. And this guy's the grandson of an estranged brother of his grandfather's. <laughs> and so he had no idea. And it was like kind of, I don't know, really cool and interesting. And also as a result of Craigslist. So you just never know. And he's not from Chicago, so also kind of funny. Anyway, okay last one. Um, Let me just pick a short and sweet one. Honestly, there were so many amazing, beautiful, important, incredible stories. And I read every word. And thank you so, so much if you submitted them. And I honestly kind of was just pulling a grab bag um so i could cover like different types of themes and different l- levels of of light and heavy and um i just want this to be kind of a representation of a, uh, different things that can happen and i just hope that it makes other people believe there is all the more that maybe we had written them off previously so whether your story was shared or not please know that it's important it influenced how i talk about things and um anybody who shared that i did read it's like i I just see this as such a a, even what i've already heard from people of how they think they were needing to hear or an affirmation or a tough time or something that was uplifting like anybody writing into me you're helping so many people and i mean that and i get to see it but you don't directly and i just it's not lost i mean thank you so much um let's see one last story uh, this person said, I hesitated to send this because it was pretty meaningless. But if you need a lighthearted coincidence to throw in here, here's the one I have thought about thousands of times over the years. Nothing is meaningless. Um, I moved from Amherst, Virginia to Palmyra, Virginia in seventh grade. About six months after I moved, I was over to a new friend's house, and her mom told us to go check the mailbox. She pulled out the mail and she casually said, Oh, this is for you, and hands me a letter. I thought she was joking, but it really was. A girl from my old school had sent me a letter to a completely wrong address and it somehow made its way directly to me. I wasn't even close friends with this girl. I didn't give her my new number or address when I moved. The perfect circumstance and randomness of this has haunted me for years. I've never even told the story because it sounds like a weird lie, but I promise I'm not weird enough to lie about that. I didn't even write her back, so maybe there was some cosmic reason for it all happening and then I screwed it up by being the worst. And actually responding to people. Uh, I'm selling more to part two. Oh my gosh. Okay, actually, I, that's like so cool. I love that. You're sure that the girl's mom wasn't writing you and being like, go check the mailbox, girls, because you know, as a male enthusiast myself, um, I that would be like a fun thing for a kid to get. But actually, no, not seventh grade, you're not a child. And also if it was um signed, sealed, and delivered by a girl, you're totally separate school. Did you have the same street name? That is so strange. Do you wish you had kept it? Like, what did it say? That that actually, honestly, that's a great note to end on because it's not sad. It's also a so little spooky, and it has my wheels turning. I'm into that. I I love. I live for the spook. I, I I like something that's like uncanny but not scary. You know. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. This was such a, a joy, an emotional roller coaster at times. Um if my voice ever seems monotone it was because i was re-recording it and uh, i just try to do the best i can to you know do these beautiful stories justice without letting my own emotions get in the way or my own input sour them i as i said f- fully believe everybody of course i don't there's no nobody has anything to gain from making this up and sending it to a total stranger and um i just i'm so appreciative and um you know i think that like I love these things, too. And I was having a conversation over DM with somebody who was listening to this episode last week and her grandmother passed away that day and wrote me a nice note. And I was telling her the way I try to think about things as it relates to people that have passed, especially when they're older, especially given the times we're in now and, and a lot of people being sick and having trouble. And I pray everybody that everybody knows and loves makes it through. And in the event somebody doesn't, I just... I always um, the way I try to frame it in terms of people I've loved and lost is especially if it wasn't pleasant or positive at the end. And I think the tough thing is for grandparents, especially, too, is like you want to remember them when they were younger and healthier and active and your wonderful memories together outside of more kind of the depressing scenarios of like nursing homes and whatnot. I always try to think of it as like. You know if somebody writes this incredible story that writes a novel and you read it and you're so taken and it's so beautiful when you remember it and when you explain it to somebody else you never ever tell them what's on the last page taylor swift said don't read the last page uh new year's day and i always loved that lyric because i think there's a tendency we have to let the end of somebody's life or the source of their death define their existence as a whole. But there's so much more than that. Think of everything you are and everything you're living and everything you've done right now being completely written off just because of how you exit. The important thing is to remember the the whole story and all its twists and turns and um, all of its beautiful chapters. And, you know, life isn't one ongoing clean narrative. It's a series of chapters and phases that each have their own characters and subplots and i just think there's so much beauty and there's so much substance in the book of one's life that you'd hate to get overwritten by the last page and i remember talking to my dad when my grandmother passed and he mentioned something like how he didn't want me to uh, remember my grandmother as like you know the, the the final like years and whatnot that were just like really really tough and um i was just like no like a- absolutely like that's not what i don't think about that at all actually i didn't, like even when um my grandfather who passed away more recently i'm like honestly the first thing that like flashes in my head is that when i was like a kid i used to brush his hair um or like for my grandmother i think of us at her like sewing machine i think of the first time i ate chicken salad at her kitchen table i think of like the squirrels that would like eat through her screen and she didn't care because she liked critters and how scared I would be if a squirrel was on my stove and ate my muffins. And uh, I don't know. I just think any way we can connect to the positive memories, the happier times. Um, that's how it's it. the the, the first story. It was it the first or second story I told it. That was like such that it was, hit the nail on the head of like remember me with smiles and laughter if you're going to remember me with tears don't remember me at all i really think that any of us would we all feel that way about ourselves we're like i'm not that great like like i'm like laugh remember it's fine i'm good like please 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 don't be sad in my absence like no even though we would be nobody actually feels that way about themselves and they want for you to live your best life and to move forward in a way that carries them with you but not in a way that's burdensome but rather is a joyful reminder of something beautiful you once have and will most certainly have again if these stories have taught me anything at all we're never really born we are never really die we always circulate we remain in the orbit of the people who matter most and i don't care if it's scientifically provable i don't care if it's logical i care that it's meaningful And you know that if and when you uh, cross over, God forbid, a long, long time from now, you'd do everything in your power to get through to your best friend or your sister or your parents or whoever it is and be like, hello, I'm fine. It's all good. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll, you know, everywhere somebody goes, I'll just make sure Aaron's party parentheses come get it place. Maybe I'll just like smack you upside the head with a good roast beef sandwich. You know, there's many ways you'll know my presence and i I seriously considered like the outro song i could play here sometimes i just let this mood keep going and i'm just like let's just go for it i almost did like hamilton's soliloquy from the world was wide enough when he sees Lawrence washington his mother his son philip on the other side um but then i was worried people hadn't seen it or heard it and then it it's like such a, like it's it's a culminating moment of like every um Motif uh, and symbol in the play, and it's a brilliant emotional song. And I, it's just I don't know, I love it. And I, whenever he talks about seeing people on the other side, like while he's amidst his duel, destroys me.
1: I mean, obviously, Alexander
0: Hamilton stories. There's no like spoiler alert there. We know about the duel, but regardless, I was like, you know what? I just want to send people off into their week with uh on a on a upbeat, but thought provoking. No, you know, like I, you know. You can't see it in my face, but I'm about to play my ace of base, obviously, because like I need you to tell me if you think that all that she wants is another baby child or another boyfriend. I just need to know. I'm still stuck here. It's been two hours. We talked a lot about a lot deeper things, but I I don't know. I, I like a full circle moment, you know, this is the point of my entire philosophy about life, about life. There's no beginning. There's no end. May the circle be unbroken. Make new friends, but keep the old one is silver and the other's gold. I'm talking about Girl Scouts recently at the PowerPoint party. Which are on Saturdays at 8.30 Eastern. You can get a link via Patreon. Patreon.com slash in 5 I put it in the Facebook group sometimes. We have, like, separate Patreon calls. Sometimes we include Facebook. It just depends. Honestly, it's just, like, kind of a barrier to entry. Just so it's not open to, like, the general public. Because otherwise, I don't think people would enter their PowerPoints into the, uh, you know, party. If they thought that would be... You know, it's, like, kind of helps to have a closed group. Um, But, yeah. Anyways. So I love you guys. Thank you for listening. This meant so much to me. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. I am so appreciative that you trust me with your stories. And I hope that there's a benefit to you having written them down. I've been spending the past two weeks as I've been telling these stories going through like my iPhone notes and my, you know, OneNote and like uh, and my emails just being like, am I remembering this right? Because I think we sometimes over credit our future memories' ability to recall small details that feel painstaking or you know, like a nuisance to write you know in the moment but it's like so so important to log these moments and when they don't happen as often to um revisit them and remember them because i i mean i like to hope my loved ones have better that they're having like so much fun they have like better things to do and places to be than like trying to like get through to me and if it's difficult i'd be like oh my gosh come on how like, do you honestly think that aaron's party parentheses come get it is like you know, supposed to be playing at this like Sotheby's auction or whatever, some sophisticated thing that my loved one will be at and still wasn't picking up on it. I'd be so frustrated. But alas, what can you do? Uh, Anyway, guys, okay. Uh, please subscribe to be there in five. Rate and review five stars. I would love that so much. Tell a friend. The only way I grow is if people share on their stories and tell people. And if you think this would help out somebody. Please share and also please caveat that this isn't normally the material I cover. And I try to not be a downer most of the time, but I thought this was uplifting at the same time. I hope it was for you, too. And I hope it didn't, you know, wasn't too much for anybody. Um, I always want to be considerate of uh, the nature of the content, given I'm so sensitive that I am very much carried in, into something and enveloped in its uh, emotional undertone and have trouble getting out of it. But I hope Ace of base turns that around for all of us. And I hope the general positivity of what everyone experiences as a result of these signs stays with you far more than the sadness of anybody's passing. And um, I hope everybody has a good week. There'll be another bonus episode coming out at some point. Um, And we have a lot of fun things in store. A lot of good episodes, topics, deep dives, a snorkel I'm going to do through a bunch of deep dive requests that I can't dedicate to one episode. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up. And I hope you'll stick around. So with that, I'll let you go. As always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.